Good morning. It's great to be back with you all again. Uh, I have a phrase when I come here. The first time I preached here, the phrase that I said was, don't mention the rugby. I will reiterate that phrase. Please do not mention the rugby, though in fairness, it's okay. I've, I've had it for the last week, so it's all right. Uh, it's, uh, it's still burned in my memory, that last five minutes. I still haven't forgiven Alex Cuthbert for coming inside and not getting that tackle, but there we are. <coughs> Never mind. Uh, these things happen. Uh, but I didn't want to talk about rugby just now. I wanted to talk a little bit about golf. I've got quite a turbulent relationship with golf, uh, if I'm honest. It started when I was young, where my dad used to take me to the driving range, and he, uh, I, I used to hate being told what to do as a child. I'm still not very good at it now. But as a child, I used to be, hate being told what to do. And my dad used to show me how to hold the club and where my feet should be and where my shoulders should be and that my eyes should always be on the ball. And I used to just lash out and say, oh, I'll do it myself. It's fine. I'm getting a huff. And I used to just have these just mountains of divots I used to leave on the, on the greens of the golf courses. The, yeah, the groundsman used to hate me. But eventually when I got older, I let my dad sort of take me out and he showed me the right technique and or I got a lot better. People on the courses could see I got a lot better. They used to come up to me and say, oh, you've improved much <laughs> since you were before. Um, and after I'd accepted my dad's advice and received his advice, others around me could see the impact that it had. Uh, now, I'm not asking, I'm not saying that I'm any good at golf, okay? Don't, please don't come at the end of the service and say, do you want to go for a round of golf? You don't want to go for a round of golf with me. Unless you're really, really down and had a really bad week and you really want to laugh, then come with me on a golf course for four hours and you'll see it. Uh, but what I want to say, I wanted to say that because today our passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to 16, it's concerned with the church that believed and accepted something from Paul, the one who'd written the letter, that accepted something from Paul and it was evident in their lives. People could see it. So we as a church have been going through the letter of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, it's a book in the New Testament. It was written by Paul, who was a follower of Jesus. Uh, and it's written to a church that he planted. And he's talking to them about this specific passage. He's talking to them about this book here, the Word of God. Last week, you looked at verses, tw- uh, verses 1 to 12 with Keith. And he looked at the gospel, and Paul was talking about his ministry, and talking about how he wasn't just speaking the gospel, he was living the gospel in his life. And today we're going to look at verses 13 to 16, and we're going to look at how Paul draws out in this passage the importance of the word of God in a Christian's life. And then how that impacts their life. So we're going to read, it's only four verses, but if you have a Bible, please turn to it. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll read from verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered. From your own people, the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. 
They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. So Paul here in verse 13, he turns from talking about his own ministry, which you looked at last week, and he talks about what these Christians in the church are going through right at the moment, right this situation. And we can see Paul is delighted with them. He's delighted with them because he thanks them, he thanks God for them as a church and how they are serving and how, how they are living and also in how they accepted and received the word of God, the message that he and Timothy and Silas had brought to them as a church. They accepted it and received it. And you read about that in Acts chapter 17, which I know Andy looked at two weeks ago. He says, you received the word of God. The word of God is a difficult phrase to define because in general it describes the different ways that God communicates with us as humans, okay? How God speaks to us. Since creation, God has been constantly speaking to humanity through various means, through direct conversation with characters like Abraham and Moses, through dreams and visions like he did with Joseph, or through representatives like Joshua or Isaiah or Jeremiah. To Israel. One of the key ways God spoke to us is through the Lord Jesus, of course. Through the Lord Jesus, because Jesus is God in human flesh. One of Jesus' titles was the Word of God. He is the Word of God, meaning that He came to communicate to us as humans who God is and what He is like. The gospel message of Jesus is also called the Word of God because it communicates to us that we need to be saved from something, saved from the punishment of sin, and that Jesus is the only way to be saved. But the last way that God has communicated to us has been through his words being written down and recorded over 2,000 years of history. God instructed people like Moses and King David and others to write down his words and teachings, and over the course of 2,000 years, these words and these letters, these books, were collected into this little mini-library here, that is called the Bible. So the Bible is the written word of God. It records for us who God is, what he has done, and what he is like. And it is the only book, the only book which tells us all that God wants us to know about him. And Paul here, he's thrilled to see that the church has received this word of God and accepted what he had told them. They had believed in Jesus and they were following the teachings of God. And due to their church's love for God's teaching, it says that Paul says to them that people around could see it was working in them. In chapter 1, he says that the people around could see that you're living out the word of God in your lives day to day. The word of God, the teaching of God was something that, that governed their lives. It wasn't something they just read occasionally in a week. It wasn't something that they sort of, oh, the Bible says I'll read that for five minutes today. Okay, that's it, that's done. It was something that they lived and breathed. They studied it, they loved it, and they were submitted to it. It was something that governed their lives, that every aspect of their life was under the word of God. And that is a challenge to us this morning, isn't it? What is the Bible to us? How do we view God's word today? We have God's written word in front of us. How do we view this book today? 
do we just see it as another piece of literature, another book on the shelf? Do we see it as something that is good to read and listen to now and again? Or do we see it as something that is inspired by God himself? Which is active in changing our lives? Do we see it as something that we should be daily submitting to? That everything we do and say should be submitted to what this book, the Word of God, says. God uses the analogy in the Bible that the Bible is like food. Food for our spiritual lives, to feed our spirits. And Jesus said that the Word of God is something that we should be feeding on all of the time, day to day. Matthew chapter 4, it says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I always smile at that because I love bread. Sometimes I think I could live on it alone, but that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that physical food is not enough to live. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, normally, we would probably eat around three meals a day, wouldn't we? Or if you're like me, you probably have snacks in between. That's our physical food. That's things that we need to live and to function and to work and so on. But the Bible is described as our spiritual food. And it gives us energy, but not for physicality things, but more to do with living holy and godly lives for him. As we feed on God, as we consume the word of God, we are energized to live holy lives and live godly lives. And if we're honest, we struggle to read this book, don't we? I do. We struggle to read and feed and consume this book. There may be some of us, even this morning, who just come on a Sunday and this is the only time that you hear or read this book. And for the rest of the week, it lays closed on your bedside table, on your coffee table, on your dining room table, or it lays closed in its Bible case and it comes out again on Sunday morning. There was a British evangelist called Smith Wigglesworth. And he said, we feed our bodies three hot meals a day, but feed our spirit one cold meal once a week. And we wonder why we're spiritually weak. If we're just relying on the teaching we get once a week, then we won't be equipped spiritually to live holy and godly lives through the rest of the week. If we only had one beef dinner on a Sunday morning, and that was all you had for the rest of your week, none of us would last, would we? I wouldn't. No matter how the size of the beef dinner it was, if that was the only meal you had every week, you wouldn't survive very long. We wouldn't survive very long. And the reality is that we aren't feeding on this book enough. And the reality is actually that though we are, we are actually fed, not just by the Bible, but as we go throughout our lives, we're fed by other things. Day by day, we are fed things by the world, and it's often subconsciously. It's often we don't realize that we're doing it. We don't realize we're being fed. The world continually bombards us with information, and we don't really realize that we're taking it in. Radios, in your cars, mobile phones that constantly alert me of different things, social networking sites, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, WhatsApp, 
our televisions, the films we watch, the internet, adverts, billboards, posters, magazines, all these things will feed us. We are constantly being fed things by the world, constantly, and we never realize that it's happening. And as we are fed by these things, we subtly, and no, we don't realize it, we subtly take on the things that these different sources of food, shall we say, we take on the values that they're putting forward. The TV programs, the films we watch, the songs we listen to, the things we hear and see and discuss, those are the things, whether we like it or not, shape the way we think. They can shape the way we live our lives, quite simply. And often we don't realize we're being fed by these things. We don't know that they change the way we think. And we need to be made aware of this and choose to consciously feed on this book. God has revealed himself in such a magnificent way through his written word. I was thinking this week, how many Bibles do I have in my house? Probably about 10, 15, maybe even 20 Bibles. Different translations, different types, study ones, whatever. I, couldn't, I could tell you right now, I have not read one of them cover to cover. How many of us have so many Bibles in our houses, and yet how often do we feed and consume this book? And the things I've mentioned, Facebook, television, okay, they can be used well. Don't think I'm saying, don't use those things because I would be a hypocrite if I would say those. Those things can be used well. They need to be used wisely, but they can be used well. But what I'm trying to say is, do the things that the world feed us outweigh the feeding that we get from this book? Jesus said that we need to be daily cleansed from the things that we are fed by the world. In John chapter 13, Jesus said that those of us who are Christians, we need to be washed. We need to daily have our feet cleaned because as we go throughout the world, our day-to-day lives, we pick up sin. We pick up different types of sin. Not only do we commit sin, which we need to repent of, but we pick up sin. And Jesus said we need to wash away these things. And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that we do that. The church is washed by the word of God. That's how the Bible helps us, because it cleans us from the twisted morals and views of the world put forward, and it brings brings us back to what God says is right. It brings us back to what God says is the right way to live. That's how the Bible helps us. In Romans chapter 12, it said, Paul encourages us to be transformed, to be renewed by the cleaning of our minds. What Paul means there is that God wants to change the way we think and have our minds cleaned from sin so that we see sin not as the world sees it anymore, not as something that they think is pleasurable and satisfies, but we see sin as God sees sin. And so reading God's word, the Bible, plays a huge part in our cleaning, in our washing from the world. So as we read the Bible, as we study it, as we feed it, as we consume it, with the help of the Holy Spirit, our minds are cleaned by the truths that we read. So can I ask us this morning, do we have a daily Bible reading plan? 
for this year. And if you do, how is it going? Are we getting regular quiet times with God in our day-to-day lives? Now, please don't think that this is something I have altogether. Please don't think that going to a Bible college means that I can now recite Genesis to Revelation to you in 20 different translations. It's not the case. When I came to the end of my first year at Tilsey College, the staff asked me a question. What was the hardest thing about studying here? I said, the hardest thing about studying here was my lack of discipline in reading God's word. If you're in that place right now, can I encourage you to talk to someone in the church? Someone that you respect to help you? Now, I'll be honest, I am accountable to someone in this church over this very issue. So every time I have my quiet time, which is usually in the mornings, I will read a chapter of the Bible, I'll read a chapter of a devotional book, and then I will text that person to say, I've had my quiet time for today. It's a small thing, but having that someone who's accountable to you, I can come alongside you, I meet with that person every month, and we chat about what I've been doing, how it's been going. Having that someone who's accountable to you can be a major help in being disciplined in feeding on this book. I'm sure there are many people here who would be happy to help you. Because if we're honest, there are many, many of us who struggle with this. Many, many of us. Even church leaders I know struggle with this. Perhaps you're unsure this morning how to read and study the Bible. Perhaps maybe you're asking, what should we be doing when we read the Bible? Then I'd ask you, if you can, if you can find uh, your your bulletin, on the back of your bulletin, there should be an aid for you. There are a useful set of questions on the back of the bulletin which you can ask every time you read something. Every time you read a passage of Scripture, you can ask these nine questions. And it might be a useful aid to you as you read and study the Bible. There are also some websites on the bottom of the sheet which you can look at and apps that you can download which have daily reading plans on them. If you use something else, that's fantastic. These are just some suggestions, but can I also make a plug for home groups? If you aren't in a home group or have been not attending recently, can I urge you to try and get to your home group? If you have the opportunity to sit down together and read and discuss the Bible, it's quite a privilege. I come from a background where that doesn't happen. I know many, many countries where that can't happen because it's illegal. We have such a privilege in this country that we can meet openly to discuss and read and pray together. If you're not in a home group, can I really encourage you to find one? Or if you've been struggling recently to attend it, could you please, again, I'd ask you to attend. Can I urge us then this morning, this is so important for us as Christians. I can't really overstress this enough. We need to be consistently in this book. Because that's how God communicates with us primarily. God communicates with us in many ways, but it's usually through his written word, the Bible. Perhaps right now, there are some of you right now, today, who've got some certain decisions to make. Perhaps you're praying about these decisions consistently, but you're not getting an answer. To be honest, I'm position right now. Many of you know want to come to chat to me afterwards. 
I'm at this point in the midst of some very serious decisions that I need to make. After June, I have no idea what's coming or where God wants me to be or where he wants me to serve. And a couple of months ago, I was in agony over this and I was in tears and I was praying, Lord, you're not answering me. Why aren't you answering me? And then I was shown that picture. Don't say God has been silent when your Bible has been closed. Don't say God has been silent when your Bible has been closed. What are we doing with God's Word? The Bible, are we feeding on it? Is it the place that we find our direction? Is it the place we find strength, we find comfort, we find wisdom? And is it the thing that we submit to? Are all of our relationships under the authority of this book? Are all of our finances under the authority of this book? Are all the things that we do at work under the authority of this book? What are we doing with the Word of God? Let's take our example from this church, the Thessalonians, who took this word seriously and were living it out consistently in their lives. But to do that, there are consequences. And Paul touches upon it in this passage. There are consequences to that. In verses 14 to 16 of the passage, Paul mentions the consequences of living a life that is submitted and guided by God's word. There, is, there are consequences to that. As we live by the word of God, as we seek to live by its standards and seek to obey it, this will bring opposition. This will bring opposition. Paul makes reference to the suffering that the Thessalonian church had been going through. And in, in this instance, it was a group of Jews who had rejected the Lord Jesus and they were persecuting this Thessalonian church. And Paul actually speaks of his own suffering and he speaks of Jesus' suffering at the hands of men because of who he is and what he did. And it may not be specifically Jews in our world today who persecute us, but there are many in our schools, in our colleges, in our universities, in our workplaces, in our friendship groups, in our families who will be opposed to you and to me because of the way we live our lives according to God's written word. John chapter 15. If the world hates you, said Jesus, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If we stand with Jesus, we stand in the minority. But one plus God equals the majority. Paul declares in verse 14, Jesus was hated so much that he was killed. And there are many people in the world who in many countries will kill Christians because of their submission to this book. I have a friend from Eritrea who escaped from Eritrea because of the severe persecution that he was going through and his friends were going through as a church. And he told me some horrific things about what they're doing out there in Eritrea to Christians. That's just one country. We are, in the, we are going to be opposed if we submit to this book. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks of Christians as spreading the aroma of the Lord Jesus. As we seek to live lives by the word of God, the Bible, we are spreading the fragrance of Christ. 
And he says to those who follow Jesus, it is an aroma of life. And to those who don't follow Jesus, it is an aroma of death. Andy said in January doing our series, there are only two responses to the Lord Jesus. You accept him or you reject him. And if you have not accepted him, then by definition you have rejected him. The way we live as Christians is becoming increasingly under the spotlight. As governments and authorities pass legislation that the Bible confronts, we often shudder, don't we, at the legislation that goes through on certain issues. As we look at history, we can see that those who have sought to follow God and the teachings of God and the teachings of the Bible have always come into conflict with their cultural context at some point or another. They've always come into conflict. And for some believers today, I know Andy mentioned this in January, baptism in Afghanistan is illegal. It's illegal to be baptized in Afghanistan. In other countries around that area, it's illegal to read the Bible. It is illegal to meet together as Christians, and it is illegal to worship the name Jesus Christ. We have an enormous freedom in this country, as we can do all those things freely and openly. But however, we in the West are being attacked in more subtle ways by the devil and his forces. We are being attacked in more subtle ways. As the cultural context in our country changes, as the worldview changes, as social opinion changes, as legislation is passed, we as Christians, particularly at the moment, are being put under the spotlight in regards to our views of marriage. The pressure is building on us as we seek to live under what God's written word says, the pressure is building. The Bible, and therefore God himself declare, that humanity was created male and female in his image, and marriage is between one man and one woman. Our world is seeking to squeeze us into a box, to the point where no longer we take this biblical viewpoint where we no longer submit to what the Bible says is right and what the Bible says is the right and godly way to live. We are being squeezed. We are under pressure. This is why we need to be feeding on this book regularly. If we seek to know the principles by which we live out our faith and seek to defend our faith, then we need to read and know our Bible. And as we seek to live this out, the Bible says people will notice us, people will question us, people will mock us, people will laugh at us, people will persecute us, people will abuse us, whether verbally or physically. But as we obey the Bible, as we submit to it, some will see and respect us. Some will be inspired by it. Some will want to know more. And that's our encouragement. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Some will turn to Jesus because of the way we communicate this book, because of the way the Holy Spirit is working in their lives. But also through the way we live our lives, people will be interested and they will notice. There may be people in your life right now who are noticing you and asking you questions about the Bible and about your faith and about Jesus. As a church in the UK, we still have so much freedom. So much freedom. 
And I think we need to use it now before it goes because it's, it's coming. We look at the news, we look at the world, we look at the way things are going. We are becoming more and more under pressure and I think that will only increase. But this is the life Jesus has called us to. I know Keith mentioned last week about these, these counterfeit Christians that say, if you come to Jesus, all of your dreams will be fulfilled. You'll have an easy and smooth life and get everything you ever wanted. The Bible never, ever declares that. The Bible never declares that. Jesus never declared that. Jesus said to follow him, there will be a cost. He said to follow him, we have to take up our cross daily. And that is a picture to say it's going to be tough. I think about the road that Jesus took from Jerusalem to Calvary's Hill, carrying that cross. And I think the Christian life is a lot, going to be a lot like that. We're going to be carrying our cross, and there are going to be some who look and laugh. There are going to be some who look and mock. There are going to be some who look who spit at us. There are going to be some who look and don't care. Some who look and just pass by. There will be some who look and have sympathy. There will be some who look who will be transformed. There will be some who look like the Roman centurion and declare this man really was the son of God. We have a hope. This life is not going to be easy. We will suffer. Perhaps some of us are suffering right now. I love this verse in Romans chapter 8. I consider, said Paul, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we will be revealed in us. The New Living Translation puts it, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. We have a hope. This life will be tough. But eternity awaits with him. A lot of this book, and we will look at it next week, a lot of this book is concerned with Jesus coming back, and he is coming back. He sits in heaven now waiting for his return to be made. And he will come. And we have that to look forward to. But at the moment, we're going to suffer because of him. Because we follow him, because we submit to the teachings of this book, we're going to suffer. Glory awaits. So this morning, we've looked at how this book is is God's written word for us today. It's how this almighty God, Jehovah, Yahweh, whatever name you want to give him, it speaks to us today, right now. Can I ask, what is our view and my view of this book? Is it where we find our direction and guidance? Is it where we look at all for anything? Do we seek to live by it completely? Do we submit every aspect of our lives to it? Do we respect it, honor it, seek it, obey it, feed on it? We have a peace with God. We have the Holy Spirit within us and we have God's revealed word, the Bible, to feed on. Let us be people who seek to live out the dealings of this book. We can't
go about our day-to-day -day lives strengthened without feeding on this. What a privilege that God has revealed himself in such a way as this. What a privilege. May we stand firm in this book. As the world will seek to squeeze us and seek to oppose us, let us hold on to the peace that Jesus has given us. Let us hold on to the principles of this book, knowing that the suffering is just for a moment. But he awaits, and he will come. Let's pray for a moment. Our Father, we thank you for the revelation of this, your written word. Father, help us over the next couple of days and weeks and months and into our lives, Lord. Help us to be disciplined in consuming and feeding upon your word. Help us, O oh God. Help us, because we can't do it by ourselves. Please help us to feed on your word, to be disciplined in it and to walk in a manner that's worthy of you. Help us, Lord, that when things come against us, when we are opposed, when we suffer, to look to you and to continue to trust in you. And may we just keep one eye on heaven. As we wait for the return of our Savior, may we keep our eyes on him and seek to live him out in our day-to-day -day lives. Bless us now, we ask. In Jesus' name and for his glory.